Welcome to the Table for One podcast, a podcast for those of you who are cooking for one. You'll find interviews with people who are cooking for one, nutrition tips, cooking tricks, and other practical topics for all my single listeners. And all without the mention of dieting or restriction because, well, dieting just kind of sucks. So join me as I explore the realities, the challenges, and also highlight the joys of cooking for one in this busy world. Welcome back. I am excited to share this week's episode. I had the opportunity to talk to Michelle, who lives in Salt Lake City, Utah, and works as a data as a data analyst. She usually works about 35 to 40 hours a week and loves spending time volunteering, working on her house, and watching the NBA. Well, when they're in season. Uh, we talked about her experiences with food growing up, including her experiences growing up surrounded by different Latin American cultures in Miami. And then we also talked about restrictive diets and her experiences with them and how following a restrictive diet impacted her for a lot longer than the time that she was following that diet and and how it's changed her life in not such great ways. So without any further ado, you can listen in to my interview with Michelle. Hey, Michelle. Thanks so much for joining me today. Perfect. Thank you for having me here. Yeah, absolutely. So why don't we start by having, I'll have you tell me a little bit about what eating was like at your house growing up. Sure. Um, well, my parents are uh, from Nicaragua. Uh, they're immigrants to the United States. So, um, and I was born and raised in Miami. So Miami is a very culturally diverse city, mostly made out of, of people from different Hispanic backgrounds. Uh, so growing up, what we ate was very Latin American food, particularly Nicaraguan and Cuban because of the strong Cuban influence in Miami. So on a normal day, let's say my mom made dinner, um, it would be rice and beans, standard, every single night, and then some sort of uh, meat. So chicken or carne asada, which a lot of people are more familiar with from, like, eating Mexican food. Uh, but Nicaraguans eat that as well. Uh, pork uh, is a staple of a lot of Latin American countries. Um, and then a tortilla that would be handmade from... Um, flour so she'd make that every night and then uh that would be kind of what dinner was like we really didn't eat a lot of breakfast and then growing up I guess lunch was whatever was provided in the schools but I would say my main meals growing up were dinner just because both of my parents worked uh but when I spent time at my grandmother's house it was kind of reversed we'd kind of have lunch as a big meal and then breakfast and dinner were smaller meals and that's kind of where I've settled in my eating pattern but yeah definitely a lot of traditional Latin American foods a lot of rice and beans oh yeah so what's could you choose one thing that you grew up eating that's your favorite <laughs> yeah so uh Nicaraguans have a type of food that we call fritanga which is basically just like Nicaraguan fast food and one of the things there is fried cheese. So I know that sounds maybe not normal, but the <laughs> cheese um, is not pasteurized and it's very salty and they fry it and it's delicious. I, I'm obsessed. Every time I go back home, that's like the number one thing I want to eat, Nicaraguan fried cheese. That sounds so good. So is that something that you would get at like a restaurant or like a stand on the street or something that would be made at home? 
if you go to Nicaragua, you can get it on a stand on the street. But in Miami, because there's so many Nicaraguans, there are lots of Nicaraguan restaurants. So you can go anywhere and you can basically buy it in any city at any Nicaraguan restaurant. It's definitely much harder in Salt Lake. It's pretty much non-existent but you can purchase the cheese online and have it delivered to your home if Uh, that's really what you want to (laughs) do that's awesome so it's an option it just is not quite as accessible (laughs) yeah definitely I'm I'm actually I'm also curious since you grew up in um in Miami where there were a lot of people from Hispanic cultures how did that um influence you your eating did I mean did you have friends who had like different cultures that growing oh, yeah. up that you kind of learned from too? I'm, I'm curious about that. Oh, for sure. So um, rice and beans is very nuanced. So each country has a different version of their rice and bean dish. So Cuban rice and beans are completely different from Nicaraguan rice and beans. And then very different from Puerto Rican rice and beans. And um, growing up, my mom, love trying new food so we'd always go to different latin american restaurants and i grew up eating food from lots of countries colombia el salvador um, honduras brazil argentina cuban um so when someone thinks of latin american food a lot of times they think of spicy food or like avocados but each country has their own um specialty dishes or their own way that they do a dish that everyone else does. And uh, you really grow to appreciate that uh, growing up in an environment like that. Like, for example, a very traditional Colombian dish is the bandeja paisa, which is essentially a very large dish with tons of food in it. It was made for people who were going to go work in the fields all day. So there's lots of eggs and pork and chicken and rice and beans all in one dish. And um, it's not... It's not something that you'd find in another Latin American country served that way. It's very specific to Colombia. And so a lot of those things I learned because Miami is so diverse and there's so many people from different cultures and they all bring that food with them because that's part of who they are. Yeah, absolutely. I thanks for sharing that. I one last question about that. So you kind you talked about rice and beans and tortillas and a couple of things, but are there any other um really signature dishes or signature aspects of Nicaraguan cuisine that you'd like to share? Because I think it's unfortunate that everything gets, especially living in Utah, like everything gets this Mexican label. And that's not really representative of all the different cultures. Yeah. Um, Bajo was one of my favorite dishes growing up. It's essentially um, yuca and uh, plantains and uh, meat all steamed wrapped in banana leaves so uh, the meat is sunbathed so they put out the meat um, out in the sun all day with salt and that makes a very delicious flavor and then that meat is cooked inside banana leaves in a pot in steam all day for 24 hours and then you basically eat it the following day after it steams slowly in the banana leaves and it's absolutely delicious it takes a lot of time um (laughs) to cook and it's one of those dishes that grandmothers cook on sundays you know like it's Uh not an everyday dish it's just a once in a while dish because it takes so long but i always love that 
Oh, that sounds so good. I, it sounds like such simple ingredients, but I doubt it tastes simple because they're, because leaving the meat out to, to, um, bathe in the sun. I like how you describe that. That's that's neat. That's that's the best way I could describe it. (laughs) That's awesome. So tell me about how, you know, your experiences in eating growing up has kind of carried you to now what what aspects of of what you did growing up do you continue and what have you kind of changed as you moved (laughs) I guess in particular I'm curious about that yeah well growing up in Miami is significantly different than living in Salt Lake so a lot of the ingredients that maybe I would have in Miami is not as easy to find here Mm -hmm. or they just don't exist and again as we mentioned Salt Lake is uh has a much larger Mexican population and not so much a diverse Latin American population so to find ingredients for a particular country like Nicaragua is a lot harder so some of the things that I like to cook uh, or make are very easy to find ingredients that um like I love making a flan Flan was something we made all the time back in Miami, and the ingredients are very easy. It's basically eggs, sweetened condensed milk, and evaporated milk. You can find that anywhere. So there's a party or a work event. I like to make a flan. It reminds me of home, and it's pretty easy to find ingredients to make that. Um, As well as I love um, tostones, which is very Caribbean Caribbean. It's uh, plantains that have been fried twice and they are green plantains, not the sweet kind. So that is uh, you can buy those at like a rancho market. So that's something uh, um, that I also frequently like to make with some of my friends who I've introduced them to. Oh, that sounds really good, too. Yeah. So you have so there are a couple of things that you're able to make here being so far away from the markets that um, carry some of the foods that you grew up with. Yeah. All right. So tell me a little bit about, about eating and cooking for one. Is there anything that you, well, let's start on the negative side. Is there anything that you really don't like about it? It's, it's, hard to find recipes um so finding a recipe it's usually like for a family of four and i'm not a family of four and sometimes i don't want to eat the same thing four times so one of the things that i wish i didn't have to deal with was uh, making a lot of food and eating it multiple times um it's a lot harder to find recipes that are for one where the ingredients for that recipe don't go bad, where you have to use all the ingredients, you know, like, like if I bought a head of uh, broccoli, I know that I cannot eat the entire head. Is the head going to go bad before the end of the week? If I make a recipe for one, or should I just make the recipe for four and eat four servings in the week? Stuff like that is what is for me the most challenging and difficult. Yeah, it is. It's so hard. And I, and that's really universal too. I, I hear that from almost everybody that I talk to. And that's why I'm really focusing on figuring out ways to make that work for those of us who are cooking for one. So on the um, Nourish Nutrition blog where I share recipes, my recipes are generally for one, sometimes for two, like if you're using the oven or something that you just want to make extra and then have leftovers for. And so, so it's for smaller amounts, but also like there's a, um, a slider on the number of servings. You can adjust as you need to. And then also because, um, you didn't mention this, but I'm curious if you have this experience as well, but 
so, you know, you buy a head of broccoli um, and you make enough for one serving and then you're like, well, now what do I do with all the rest of this broccoli? Or, you you know, you buy, you have a can of um, coconut milk or whatever else and then you've got all the leftover. Well, I have ideas for how to use up the rest of that as well because it's more than just like the leftovers. It's the leftover ingredients too that makes it hard to to use up. Yeah, definitely. That's super interesting. I'd love to take a look at that. Yeah. So as far as, um, with those leftovers, have you found anything like, uh, you know, other than what we just talked about, anything that's helpful for you, um, moving forward, or is that kind of something that you're like realizing isn't working for you? And, um, yeah. Yeah. I think I definitely realize that it's not working for me. Um, I like to meal prep on Sundays. Mm-hmm. So I try to use as many ingredients, the entire ingredient as possible so that nothing goes bad. Yeah. But sometimes that makes it hard because now I have to eat the same meal multiple times or, oh, um, or I underestimate or overestimate. Like a silly example is I love Brussels sprouts and I made so many Brussels sprouts and I didn't, I had never made Brussels sprouts before. I had only ever bought them at restaurants within my meal. And I had so many Brussels sprouts. I had to throw them away after I already made them. And so stuff like that, it's, um, I guess, guesstimating the right ingredient amounts, um, not to have too much left over and not to end up throwing things away. It's definitely a learning and guessing experience. <laughs> it totally is. And I think I, I like to think of cooking, especially for those of us cooking, cooking for one, as being an experiment, which is just what you said. Um, yeah. And, and I think just because it it like allows us to figure out the process without feeling bad about it because it's so easy to think like, Oh, there's this one meal planning method out there. I should try that. It looks awesome. And then it doesn't work for you. And it's also just as easy to think, what am I doing wrong here? And that's not the case. Again, especially if you're cooking for one, the it's not necessarily going to work for us because we've got our own special set of, um, of needs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So how, are, is there anything else that you find difficult about cooking for one or is that kind of the biggest one? Those, that's definitely one of my biggest challenges. And then I guess secondary to that is exploring new foods mm-hmm. and how to cook them. Yeah. Like I always go into the vegetable aisle and I'm like, eggplants look interesting. Like how do I make an eggplant for one, or if I cook an eggplant, how many days does an eggplant last for leftovers? I've never cooked an eggplant before. And so because I don't know any of those answers, I say, okay, maybe I just won't get eggplants. So um, maybe if I knew more, I feel like maybe I would be more adventurous um, in my cooking for one. But because I feel maybe nervous, I'm more restrictive in what I'm willing um, to explore with. Yeah. So exploring is something that you really want to be able to do more of. Yeah. I'm definitely an adventurous eater. I will eat anywhere and try anything, but I think cooking wise, it makes me more nervous just because I do have that fear. Like if I don't do this well, it's just going to end up in the garbage and then I wasted my money and I wasted my time. And I feel like that's really holding me back from exploring something that could be a good experience. 
Yeah. Well, and I, I don't know about you, but um, especially like you, you brought up eggplant. Um, that's not something that I eat very often either. And yeah. so my, I, I kind of, I get to that point where I'm like, oh, I don't know if I want to make it because what if it's bad? And then do I know if I like eggplant if it turned out bad? I don't know. And so it's almost easier to go to a restaurant or something, you know, have it elsewhere where you know that it's been prepared well and then you know yeah. that you can trust it. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. But I, it's overwhelming. I Oh, for sure. It's overwhelming. I, I have a eggplant dish that I really like from, um, Afghan kitchen in South Salt Lake. It's absolutely oh. delicious. And if I could redo that in my home, I would love that. But again, that fear, like I don't know how to cook an eggplant and how many portions does it make? All of that does contribute to me not wanting to try. And if I wasn't cooking for one. If I was cooking for many, maybe some of that fear wouldn't be there. But definitely cooking for one um, makes it so that I try to stick to safe choices sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. And so <laughs> I totally I totally feel you. It's well, and also like there's not that show isn't the right word, but there's not that expectation of it having to to turn out great if you're cooking yes. for yourself as much. And I have a hard sure. time describing the feeling of that. And even though like we deserve, especially if you like to cook as I do. And as, as you've talked about, like in cooking too, even with that as the base, it's still like another step to get creative and to work outside of the box of what you've got on hand or what you normally get. And it, um, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a challenge for sure. I, I have a couple things that have been helpful for me. I'm curious to, um, hear your thoughts, um, as I share them. Is that okay? Yeah, definitely. So I'm kind of the same way too. Sometimes I'll see something at the store and you know, it's on sale or it just like speaks to me, you know? And so I, you know, I'm just, I'll just buy it and then I'll get home and I'll Google, um, you know, dishes to make with that. And so when, so I found that to be really helpful, but not just to make one dish, like as you talked about, um, because eating the same thing four days in a row, especially if it's something that you don't know if you're going to love, you know, like tortellini for me, macaroni and cheese, like a couple of things. I don't, I can eat that like two weeks in a row probably and love it each time, but especially something that you're not so sure about it. It's, it's, a bigger risk, I guess. And yeah. so again, going back to eggplant, the last time that I bought one, well, or I actually, my neighbor had some seeds. So we grew some this summer oh. and yeah. And so it was fun to, to kind of see that process, but also, you know, I looked up online, you know, eggplant Parmesan is the first thing that came to my mind. Um, and so I tried that one time and then I still had leftovers. So, or extra, um, eggplant. And so I made a pasta sauce with it and it's still like frozen. So I have that still, oh. and I'm trying to think, I don't think I made anything else with that, but you know, finding a couple of recipes using the yeah. same ingredient is helpful because you're not eating the exact same thing over and over again. Yeah. You know, I never would have thought of trying to make a sauce out of leftover uh, vegetables. So that's a, like a really good idea. Oh, it's my favorite thing. Cause I, like I said, I um, had a garden with my neighbors over this past summer. And so, you know, I had like a ton of tomatoes and eggplant and a couple of random ingredients and those work out really well to be a sauce. Okay. Yeah, definitely. That's something that I definitely have never thought of. And 
I'm going to keep in mind next time. <laughs> but I mean, at least I feel like it's less daunting knowing that you don't have to use up the whole entire, because like you said, eggplants are usually pretty large and t- unless you get at some Asian markets, they sell small ones that are like, I'm trying to think how you would, um, golf ball a little bit bigger size than that. So there are smaller options, but again, you have to buy a bunch of them. So yeah. So that's an option. So after I shared tips of mine, do you, have you found anything that helps you um, cook for one, anything that you found to be helpful? Um, I think that uh, one of the things that has been helpful for me is I'm just going to preface it with a story. Yeah. I was cutting up um, some vegetables and the knife slipped and cut my finger. (gasps) And after I cut my finger, I got really scared about cutting vegetables for quite a bit of time. And one day I went to Harmon's and I saw that they had like sweet potatoes already um, cut up. And all you had to do was purchase them. And so... um, I bought them. And so I've noticed that Harmon's does have a lot of vegetables that are already cut up for you. And um, maybe that's just me being lazy. Uh, But I really, at first it was because of my finger. I didn't want to use a knife for a long time. But because they have uh, pre-cut vegetables, I've been using that a lot in a lot of meals that I've been making. Like I've made soups um, and uh, curries. They have a lot of like... um, things that go well with curry, uh, roasted vegetables that are uh, already nicely cut up for you. So I think things that save me time um, and can be cooked and incorporated easily into other things, I'm really into that. Yeah, no, that's such a good, so pre-topped vegetables and then like versatile ingredients. Yeah. Yeah, and I also like to stick with fresh vegetables. Mm -hmm. So I know sometimes people like to um, buy things that are in a can, but I'm um, very into just fresh. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so uh, the fact that they have that available in some stores to me was like amazing because it's like this is perfect because I can just use it all right away or freeze it and it's already cut up and I just have to fry it or bake it or add it into a soup and so a lot of that um has come with basically just trying to find ways to do new things I didn't even know that existed until like a year ago that's awesome yeah and I think so when I as was growing up I'm sharing my story now too because I feel the exact same way as you so my mom prepped and like did almost everything homemade and then I studied nutrition and it was super common sentiment you know like oh if you want to save money you know you've got to buy everything whole chop it yourself it's better and that so that mentality was just ingrained in my head and I got to realizing that you know, I just wasn't, I like vegetables. I like to have different ones and to incorporate those into my meals. And I wasn't doing that and realized that just the step of like having a whole vegetable and then getting it to chopped, because honestly, like it's an easy process, but it can take a lot of time, especially as you said, like squash, some of those squashes are really hard. (laughs) It's a lot of effort to cut them as well. Yeah. And so finding those areas that were like getting bogged up on and then focusing on that, finding ways to make that easier is super, super helpful. And there's no need to feel like you should be doing anything differently. Um, 
I did another episode with a dietitian from Australia. Her name is Nina, and we talked about intuitive eating. And something that she said that it's just such a great thing to keep in your back of to keep in the back of your mind. She said, "Just eating is better than to not eat." And really, that's <laughs> it's kind of what it's all about. So it's better to eat something than to eat nothing. And it's also better to buy pre-chopped vegetables so you're going to eat them instead of not eating not eating them. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there were, after I had that incident with the knife, I was just like, I guess I'm just not going to eat vegetables for a long time. And I really, <laughs> I really didn't. I stuck with chicken or just like a carb, but I really didn't eat vegetables for a while because I didn't want to cut them. And so the pre-cut vegetables has really been a game changer. Yeah. And the nice thing, like Harmon's, I think is a good example. Well, actually I have a couple things. Um, there are some stores that offer like smaller portions. So again, like you talked about before having so many of whatever produce that you can't go through it. So that's good. And then also this was super eye opening for me or super cool to hear. But I'm um, a friend of mine who's a chef. She said, well, why don't you just look, go to the, um, the, food bar what do you call it? like the salad bar section uh-huh. of the grocery store and get vegetables from there too so you know maybe maybe you just needed enough vegetables for one night or a couple nights instead of buying a large package of them just get I as much as you need i definitely done that before so I smart definitely done that it's yeah so for lunch for work like oh i didn't cook anything or i left my meal prep at home you i have purchased before a nicely grilled chicken and a side of vegetables uh, from the store at their food bars um I love it. You can just buy like a quarter of a pound or half a pound, whatever it is that you would eat, Mm -hmm. which is nice because then I didn't have to make it and I also can order the right amount for me. Yeah. Yeah. And even, you know, take those vegetables from the salad bar and take them home and then make them into whatever it is that you're going to make. So there's, there's a lot of ways that you could use that. That's helpful. So I actually want to shift gears. Are you okay talking about your experiences with the weight loss that you've had? Okay. So I already talked to you about this, but I want to preface this with, I, you know, we don't focus on weight loss. Don't want that to be something that we're encouraging or anything. But I think also with that comes being realistic and also knowing that, you know, like everywhere we look, weight loss is a focus. And so this is kind of a cautionary tale or, you know, your experiences that are probably pretty universal to some degree. And so I kind of wanted to talk about that. Um, so I'm just going to start with in our conversation before we got on, um, started recording, you talked a little bit about feeling anxious with eating like produce, for example, and things like that. Can you tell me a little bit about some of the kind of where you're at and the things that the weight loss that you had pursued in the past, how that's affected you and your eating now? Yeah, <laughs> That definitely. long-winded question. Yeah. So I actually lost quite a bit of weight and in, uh, 
that time I was actually actively pursuing losing weight by having a very restricted diet, uh, restricted calorie count, and I was actually working out a lot. So eventually I hit uh, a weight and then um, my body really didn't respond much more after um, a certain amount of weight was lost. And so because of that, I kind of decided, you know what, I've been working really hard. I'm going to give my body a break and just eat, eat less restrictively, but still healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so because that, I was in that frame of mind for a very long time, um, almost two years. It's always, it's been a lot harder for me to think about healthy eating and not connected to weight loss. Um, so a lot of times I'll be like, maybe I'll try to eat healthy this week because last week I ate pizza three times. Well, when I'm trying to eat healthy, then my brain kind of shifts and says, you're eating healthy. Um, this is diet food. Like you should try to lose weight. And that makes me feel a lot of anxiety and guilt, um, that I feel I shouldn't have. Uh, but because healthy eating triggers the idea in my mind that healthy eating is diet. Um, sometimes I do get a lot of anxiety about that and I recognize it and I acknowledge it. And because I know it, I tell myself, no, there's nothing wrong with healthy eating and you're not dieting. You're just eating healthy because it makes you feel better. And I feel like if I actively try to tell myself that it helps with that anxiety that builds up mm-hmm. because, um, it's just been ingrained in my mind that if you eat healthy, it's because you have to diet and you're dieting because you have to lose weight. And that's just no longer true for me. That's no longer my goal. I just want to be healthy. And, um, but because it's been a lifetime of that propaganda, it it is very difficult to step away from that frame of mind, but it is something that I work for and strive for to not connect healthy eating with dieting. That is, that's so interesting. And I think that's something that we, I mean, not to say because I've done this before and it does not help anybody, but like, you know, we don't really think of the outcomes as we're in pursuing of, of changing our weight. And even, even for people who have literally experienced those outcomes, um, it can do a lot of things to us that we don't necessarily expect and and don't want to have like nobody wants to feel anxiety creep in whenever you eat certain foods yeah for sure right yeah like if I go to a restaurant and everybody else is eating um pasta and maybe I ate pasta earlier that day and I decide to eat a salad then in my mind I'm like are they thinking that I'm eating a salad because I'm on a diet and I'm unhealthy and I'm just Like, you know what I'm saying? Like a lot of those things are in my head because of the trigger of me eating uh, for weight loss for two years. Um, And I know I have that anxiety and because I'm aware of it, I try to work on it. But it's definitely something that's really hard to get over and really hard to deal with a lot of the times. Yeah. Yeah. I um, and I think we all come from different places and have different experiences with food, but that's why I'm such a huge fan of mindful eating. And again, it's not a reason or a way to eat less. It's not a way to eat quote unquote only healthy. It's a way for you to recognize the foods that you really like and in the, and in preparations that you really like, and then to be able to rely and to go back on, I'm eating this, 
one particular salad at this restaurant because I really like it. Or I'm eating this one particular, as you said, pasta at this restaurant because I really like it or, you know, at home or whatever too. And that way, that's a simple way to be able to replace those thoughts like, oh, this is green. Therefore, I'm eating healthy. Therefore, I'm dieting. How about turn that into this is this arugula or whatever that is really peppery and I really like that flavor. I really like it when I eat it with beets. I'm just thinking of myself right now. I think yeah, I'm hungry. Just appreciating what you're eating yeah. for what it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And that opens the door to be able to like a lot of different foods, but also to be able to reduce that anxiety. Cause that's something that we don't often talk about, but I think it's important to recognize because a lot of meal planning and, uh, uh, a lot of meal planning and prepping programs, as well as a lot of diets and a lot of the things that are pretty common in our society, add a lot of stress to our lives. And that doesn't yes. help anybody. For sure. And nobody wants that extra stress about what you're eating. Like, mm-hmm. I, I definitely don't want it. Um, I want eating to be fun and easy and fast and good for me and makes me happy. Like if something I'm eating makes me sad, that's not good. And I don't (laughs) want that to be part of my eating experience. Yeah. But I think too, so I, I did my, um, thesis when I was in grad school on body image and one, one quote from a researcher stuck out to me that is just infuriating and so sad and, but also says a lot. And what they said was that like, it's just normal as a woman to be like, to not feel comfortable with your body, not to be happy with your body. And I think the same thing goes with eating. And so I almost wonder, I'm curious what your experiences have been. Um, but like, is the eat, I'm trying to think how to say this. So if you, if eating was something that's enjoyable and easy, is that almost like too good to be true or you like it can't be that way because it's not that way I don't don't know have you ever experienced that before or felt that way like something that is good and like I'm not sure I understand so yeah no you're okay um so food for a lot of people is something that's you know you feel guilty about you might feel anxious about there's a lot of stress that goes with eating foods have you ever experienced no stress and does that almost kind of freak you out because it's so abnormal or have you not experienced that I think I experience no stress when I'm eating when I'm on vacation Um, because in my head I'm like I'm on vacation so I think anything is okay Mm -hmm. so um that's I feel like when I've experienced the least amount of stress um about food just thinking like it's okay. Anything goes, but the reality should kind of be like, I should experience that kind of free feeling every time and not feel down about eating. Um, but I feel like for the most part, I always have something in the back of my mind associated a little bit with stress, like, um, about what I'm eating. And I feel like a lot of that comes from, um, again, losing a lot of weight and how I did it. And, uh, the length of time that I did it in, but, um, definitely I have experienced that. I guess one of those experiences would probably be, um, something funny, like going to the, uh, the Bellagio buffet in Vegas, you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Like 
the, the food's really good and it's expensive and you're in Vegas. Uh, so things like that um, make it easier because you're offsetting it by saying, well, I'm in Vegas and it was expensive and this is a nice place. So I guess yeah. outside outside triggers help ease the pain or not pain, but anxiety. Uh-huh. Um, but really, it, I guess it just depends on the situation. Sure. Yeah. It's, it's unfortunately, it's very complicated, right? There's so many factors that go into it, but it's so, as you talked about, it's just really helpful to recognize each of our individual triggers. And also to, um, no matter where you are in this whole process of eating and figuring out how to like uncouple yourself from diet culture and the stress that is associated with food and all of that stuff, a hundred percent of us will have times where we feel triggered by those things and feel anxious and all of that. And it's okay. The good thing is that we can have these tools. Um, we, we didn't really have much of a chance to talk about them, but there's a lot of tools to be able to, to combat. I don't want it to be like this, like war thing, but to be able to, to to, yeah, to be able to help us cope with that because it's a hundred percent going to happen and it's okay. It's just a matter of, um, recognizing that we deserve better and that we can, um, take it into our own hands and, and treat ourselves better because we deserve it. (laughs) For sure. Yeah. I'd love to be to be made aware of those tools and implement them and hopefully that they start working for me. That's definitely something I would definitely be interested in. Yeah. Yeah. I think I can share um, more resources with you, but intuitive eating, the women who wrote that book also last two years ago, I don't remember developed a workbook. That's super helpful um, to coincide with that. And that's really helpful to recognize all of those different aspects, um, you know, with diet culture and also those outside expectations, guilt with food, um, to be able to tune in and be mindful about our eating and so many other things. So I think that's a really good place to start um, with that. Okay, yeah. Awesome. Well, Michelle, it was so great talking to you. Thanks for sharing your experiences and the, um, you know, you and cooking and some of the tips that you have. Is there anything else that you wanted to share before we're done? Uh, no, I think it's just basically really important to recognize what your body needs and, um, just try your best to do what's right for you. I'm writing that down. That's fantastic. Thank you. (laughs) All right. Well, thanks so much. And I will talk to you later. Perfect. Thank you. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to the table for one podcast with Rebecca. Continue the conversation over in the Table for One Facebook group. Find recipes or work with me over at nourishnutritionblog.com. Or actually, the easiest way is to follow me on Instagram at nourishnutrico. And you can click the link in my profile to get more great resources for cooking for one. Talk to you next week.